just excited to see what you have in store. And, uh, Lord, we want to learn about this. This gives us a hope and a future and a peace, but also, Lord, I hope it spurs us on right now to live for you. We know what's coming. We know the good. We know the bad. We know the ugly. We want to live for you right now with eternity in our mind, eternity in our heart, thinking of you, focusing on you, and living for you in your name. Amen. Now, we're going to get into the millennial reign of Christ. This, this, I absolutely love this. I told you last week when we got into the second coming, I love the second coming of Christ, and I love the millennial reign of Christ. Dustin, whenever you get those slides ready, you can go ahead and put those up. I love it because this is what we have been waiting for as a planet. This is what we've been waiting for as a people for so long. This idea of Jesus literally ruling and reigning for a thousand years on this earth. Now, I do need to let you guys know, not everybody is going to believe that Jesus literally rules and reigns. I'm not going to get into the detail of that. What we believe and what we teach out here is that it's a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. This is what God's plan was from the beginning. So often when I have people come up to me and they start talking about, why does God allow this? Why does the world do this? Why does this happen? I always remind them that was never God's plan. God's plan was we're supposed to be back in the Garden of Eden. We're supposed to be back in the Garden of Eden in perfect health and perfect peace with no worries, fears, anxieties. We weren't supposed to be living like we are now. For a thousand years, Christ will rule and reign, and it will not be exactly like the Garden of Eden, but it's going to become pretty close to it. So we just need to remind ourselves of a couple things here. Difference between second coming and rapture. We talked about this last week. This is what is set this off. If you remember our timeline through Revelation, we started our timeline with the rapture of the church. That is on the right. Jesus meets us in the air. Christ returns to take us home. We go home with Christ. Amen. Second coming, Christ comes back and literally steps foot on the earth. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of that because during that time, we talked about what literally is going to happen. I just absolutely love it. Jesus sets foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives splits. Next thing you know, there's a valley and a river coming out of the temple. It goes down to the Dead Sea. It turns the Dead Sea alive. you got fish now. It's, I love it. So that's second coming. He literally steps foot on the earth. Christ returns to reign. He's coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years. And we return with Christ. We return with him. Can you go to the next slide, Dustin? So this is what we're going to talk about here tonight, is this idea of the millennial reign. Now, the subject comes up of what happens at the end to the people that are left. So let's talk about this a little bit. We left off last week in verse 19. Let's pick it up in verse 20 of Revelation 19. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, after and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So at the second coming of Christ, which is the battle of Armageddon, what happens now is you see the false prophet and the uh, false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire there, and that's where they're done. Now, the rest are killed with the sword here at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, this, the question comes up. Who's left to go into the millennial reign? That's what we need to talk about for a little bit. There's going to be a group of people that are left alive on the earth. How many? I don't know, but not a whole awful lot. If you've gone through the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments with us, you know that there's not a lot of people left. We're talking billions of people dead. So, therefore, the only people left are going to be minimal in number. And there's going to be a judgment for them to see who goes in the millennial reign. This is called the judgment of the nations, and this is found in Matthew 25. And what it does is it separates the sheep from the goats. That's what the Bible uses the term. You want to be part of the sheep. That's what you want. The sheep get to go into the millennial reign. Goats do not. 
Very simply put, the sheep are going to be believers that got saved during the tribulation period that made it alive through the tribulation and they get to go into the millennial reign. So please just remember these points. The rapture of the church is where all believers are taken out at the beginning of the tribulation. So therefore, at that point, all believers are gone. There's no believers on the earth. Tribulation starts. People start getting saved. We have the ministry of the two witnesses. We have 144,000. We have the angel flying above proclaiming the gospel. Many people will get saved in the tribulation. And many of those people will be murdered during the tribulation. But there will be some who get saved that make it through the tribulation alive. They get to start the millennial reign And that's who they are, the sheep of Matthew 25. There's also a reference in Ezekiel 20 about passing under the rod. That is a judgment for Israel to see the Jews that get to come into the millennial reign. And you can read about that in Ezekiel there. So what you have now is the saved sheep will be separated from the unsaved goats. The sheep go into the millennial reign and the goats are then destroyed. So the people going into the millennial reign are people that got saved after the rapture made it alive through the tribulation, and those are the ones that get to go into the millennial reign of Christ. Those that make it through the tribulation but do not get saved are called goats, spiritually speaking, and they will be judged at the second coming and not be allowed to go into the millennial reign. Now, does that answer that? Any quick questions, comments about that? So we've got to make sure that's clear because sometimes people start saying, well, who gets to go, who doesn't get to go? The Bible's got that answered. Ellen. Right. Great question. How can there be people that still do not believe after all this had happened? Please remember the phrase believe. When we think of the word believe, we think of people believing in the idea of God. I really don't think there's going to be atheists during the tribulation. They're going to see the hand of God. They're going to see God at work. What they do not have is a saving faith, a saving belief. The word for believe in God is a really interesting word in the Bible, and it means more than just acknowledging that he exists. If you read in the book of James, it talks about how the, even the demons believe. Satan is not an atheist. So you have believing faith, and then you have demonic faith. Demons believe in God. Demons believe in the scriptures. Demon believes that Jesus rose from the dead. Demons believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that through Jesus Christ, men can be saved. They're still not saved. That's demonic faith. So during the tribulation, people are going to know that there is a God, They're not willing to repent. To remind us of this, jump back to Revelation 16 real quick. Revelation 16. Start in verse 8 with me. Back to the bowl judgments from a few weeks ago. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. See, it's a hardness of heart. They do not want to repent. Keep reading verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. I've come to the conclusion here in northwest Ohio, most of the people that I witness to believe in the existence of some type of God. They just don't accept him as their Lord and Savior. And so what's going on here is, once again, as Ellen was mentioning, the people in the tribulation, they're going to see God move and work in ways that we can't even imagine. They're just not willing to give their hearts over to him and accept it into salvation. So it's very sad, very sad. Anybody else have anything here understanding? Yeah, Jeff.
They get to reign with Jesus. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but look at Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they who sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads and their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So yes, the tribulation saints that get saved during the tribulation and are martyred because of their faith, they get to reap these rewards as well too. Anybody else got anything about here who goes in and not? Yeah, Megan. No. You know, if, I mean, are you like referring to like the classic, like Dante's Inferno, the seven levels of hell type thing? No. Um, the Bible makes it clear there's different rewards and different punishments. I mean, you can go into the prison system in Ohio and you can talk to a guy who's doing 55 years. And you can talk to a guy who's doing life. They have different punishments, but they're still in the same place, eating the same food, doing the same thing. Uh, hell is hell. Is there different punishments of that? Well, the Bible says that they will be punished according to their works. What does that look like exactly? We don't know. But no, I don't ever envision that the best layer of hell being like, you know, it's not bad. It's not great. You know what I mean? It's hell. It's awful. It's horrible. And it's not like, well, you know what? I can handle this for a while. So hell is hell. It's awful. It's horrible. But the Bible does talk about punishments and rewards. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but God does when it comes to that. Anybody else have anything here about sheep, goats, who goes into lineal reign, who doesn't, etc.? All right. So, remember that? Matthew 25, judgment of the nations, Ezekiel 20, passing under the rod, sheep separated from the goats, sheep go to lineal reign, the goats do not. Can you go to the next slide, Dustin? So, we've got the Antichrist and the false prophet taken care of. The battle of Armageddon is done, the second coming. And we're almost ready for the millennial reign. We've got one other problem we have to deal with, and that is Satan. Verse 1, Revelation 20, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is not an issue. He is bound for a thousand years. I believe this is literal. Some people look at this once again as spiritual. I need to always bring that point up. You'll run into some very intelligent men and women of the Lord that I believe are saved. But they will not look at this the way that we're looking at it. I believe this is a literal uh, Christ has Satan bound for a thousand years during the millennial reign. I think it's kind of interesting, though, looking at the wording here, verse 2. Let's just remind ourselves of this. He laid hold of the dragon. That's a revelation term that we've been talking about, this dragon. That serpent of old, serpent of old. Genesis 3, all the way back, all the way back to Adam and Eve and the problem that happened thousands of years ago. Satan was a part of that, the serpent of old. Who is the devil? The word devil means slanderer. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 44. Satan is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's a slanderer. And it says in his name is Satan. Satan is a name that means adversary. He's the adversary there. 
So here is this description of Satan. He is the dragon of Revelation that's been causing problems. He is the serpent of old that goes all the way back to Genesis 3 that caused problems. He is the devil, the slanderer, and he is Satan himself. He is the adversary. He is cast into this bottomless pit. It is shut up. It is sealed. Please note the wording here. Verse 1, we have a chain. We have a bottomless pit. He is shut up. There's a seal on him. I think he's pretty secure right there. Nothing we need to worry about. And so for a thousand years, the world does not have Satan involved in it. That's part of the millennial reign. It takes us right to verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? First resurrection seems to be from when Christ rose from the dead. All believers since that part are called part of the first resurrection. First resurrection is not an actual event. It is the event that has happened since Christ died. When you and I die, if we're not raptured out and we go home to heaven, we are part of the first resurrection. Because take a look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's us. That's what we want. Over such the second death has no power. The second death is the eternal death of hell. But they should be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So therefore, if you're not part of the first resurrection, you're going into the second death. Please remember, you were born once. You will die at least once unless you're saved and you get raptured out. So, But there's a second death that's talking about an eternal death that lasts forever. You will physically die on this earth, but then you will spiritually die forever unless you've accepted Christ as your Savior. That's what it's talking about there in verse 6. So the first resurrection are those people that have been born again and saved. They are blessed. The second death, verse 6, cannot touch them because we're saved from hell. So what we're dealing with here is the people involved in the first resurrection are the ones that get to rule and reign with Christ. Who does that? Well, it's the church, the body of Christ. It looks like it is the uh, tribulation saints, verse 4. We can take other verses from the Bible, and it looks like it's the Old Testament saints as well. So anybody, anybody that has believed in the Messiah, has been saved by the blood of Christ, they're involved in this first resurrection, and they get to rule and reign during this millennial reign. So what is the millennial reign? This is where it gets so much fun. Um, we're going to be going through so many different verses tonight. I tell you, this is going to be great. So I want to take you first to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Keep your hand in Isaiah. We're going to be going to Isaiah a lot. We need to understand the key point of the uh, millennial reign is just that Jesus ruling and reigning for a thousand years. thousand years. I made a couple quick points up here. There's also points on the back of your sheet. Millennial reign. Christ literally reigns from Jerusalem. He will be here in bodily form, ruling and reigning the earth. Curse is reversed. We're under a curse right now. So once again, the reason you get sick is because there's a curse. The reason awful, horrible things happen in this world is because there's a curse. It's an awful thing. That's why it's the curse. The curse is reversed. Please note it's not lifted. It's not taken away. It's reversed. We'll talk about that. Saints will reign with them. We talked about that. Life goes on for those that are left. There will be people, once again, that make it through the tribulation, that get born again and saved, and they will start life in the millennial reign. And then there is the millennial temple, little picture right there. Ezekiel 40 through Ezekiel 48 gives you anything you'd want to know about the millennial temple. Anything you want to know. It gives you the dimensions of it, the people are serving in it, the days of sacrifice. 
It's a really big deal. Temple is going to be set up and going on in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. Animal sacrifices will be reinstituted during the millennial reign. That really bothers some people. Because they look at it and say, well, why does there need to be animal sacrifices? If Jesus was the sacrifice, according to Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, that took care of everything, why do we need to do it? You have to look at the animal sacrifices of the millennium as what we look at as communion. It's a way to look back and remember what Jesus did. So when the animal sacrifices are going on during the millennial reign, it's a way of remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as him being the lamb that was sacrificed. Once again, Ezekiel 40 through 48, I I encourage it. It's a great group of chapters there. It's just absolutely fascinating. Okay, but now let's talk about this. What does it actually look like? Isaiah 2 verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amaz saw concerning Jude and Jerusalem shall come to pass in the latter days. When you see latter days stop what you're thinking and realize they're telling you this is future. Latter days. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. The mountain of the Lord's house. We're talking about Jerusalem. We're talking about the temple. If you remember correctly from last week, when we talked about the second coming of Christ, he literally elevates Jerusalem, and he makes it a plain around there. Jerusalem literally is elevated off the ground because the world revolves around Jerusalem. During the millennial reign, Jerusalem is the key. It should have always been the key, But during the millennial reign, it literally is the key. So often when we talk about politics and world events, we wonder what North Korea is doing. We wonder what America is doing. We wonder what's going on over in Syria. I tell you, just keep your eyes on Israel. That's what you got to do. Keep your eyes on Israel. So it shall be exalted above the hills. Verse 2, all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, another name for Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem becomes the center of the world. And Jesus is going to be there. And it sure looks like in verse 3, he will teach us his ways. It kind of looks like Jesus is going to run a little Bible study. I'd say that would be a pretty good Bible study. The world will revolve around this. It says in the book of Zechariah 14 that there's going to be feast reinstituted, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the people of the world will go to Jerusalem to pay their respect to Jesus. And if they choose not to go, they get a drought on their land. So it kind of makes you go a little bit. So the world will revolve around Jerusalem. We will literally be able to go to Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob, this rebuilt millennial temple. And it looks like Jesus is going to set up court there. And he's going to teach us. And this world is going to be a wonderful blessing. There's going to be peace in this world. Take a look at verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's an amazing verse. Now, if you go to the UN building in New York, that verse is up there. That's the goal of the United Nations. It's not working out very well. So what you have right here is true peace on this world. It will only happen when Jesus is ruling and reigning. I don't want to get really political here, but it seems like every administration since the late 70s has come in and said they're going to find some solution over in Israel, be it a two-state solution, or it's going to be peace, or it's going to be whatever it is. It's not going to happen. Daniel makes it very clear that the Antichrist will come in and bring some type of fake peace. But if you want real peace, 
real peace where people are doing what it says in verse 4, beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It will not happen to Jesus Christ who is ruling and reigning on this world. That's where true peace will happen. And this is part of the millennial reign. This beautiful picture of what the world's going to look like with Jesus literally ruling and reigning. Let's build on this a little bit more. Keep your hand in Isaiah, because we're going to come back to Isaiah. I want you to go to the book of Amos now. Amos. Amos, centered between Joel and Obadiah. So keep heading to the right. Amos is one of those overlooked books. It's a decently long book, nine chapters long, and there's some great stuff in the book of Amos. Let's talk about what Amos has to say here. Amos chapter 9. Amos 9, verse 11. On that day, once again, note the wording, on that day. He's talking about something in the future. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So what is he talking about? The tabernacle of David. Looks like he's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Looks like he's talking about the temple right there. The city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. We know that much of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Many of the inhabitants of Jerusalem are going to be killed. And it is this rebuilding process. If you look in the battle of, uh, at the end of Gog and Magog right there, it's talking in the book of Ezekiel, this cleanup on earth goes into the millennial reign. This is not just like all of a sudden Jesus Christ returns, millennial reign starts, and all of a sudden there's flowers, bumblebees, and butterflies. No, not at all. The world is a complete, utter destruction and mess. It's a rebuilding process. And you see that going on in verse 11. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom was always an adversary of Israel there. So Edom is representing the enemies of Israel. And all the Gentiles who are called by name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming. Future reference, says the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes from whom who sows seed, the mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Verse 13 is an interesting verse. This is how blessed the world is going to be. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Verse 13. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and the grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. That's pretty neat. They're going to grow faster. There's going to be such an abundance of food, such an abundance of crops. Remember, the world's been destroyed. Food is limited. We talked about that back way back in Revelation chapter 6. Pestilence and about how much money it would take to buy a loaf of bread. And the millennial reign, work is not work. Work is a blessing. See, when we read back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, where it says the man, Adam, cultivated the garden. It's not like what you and I think about gardens. You're not taking Roundup to it. You're not taking a hoe out there. You're not constantly working out there in the sun and the sweat. No, it's just the most amazing soil you've ever seen. It's the most amazing garden you've ever seen. In the millennial reign, eventually it's going to get to the point of where farming is going to be this wonderful blessing. Food is going to be this wonderful blessing. Where so much so, 
The grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. That's what the New Living Translation says. Verse 14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. Rebuild. Verse 14, they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up. From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. That's the beauty of the millennial reign. God says there's peace, there's a blessing, and what a wonderful blessing it will be on this world. Now, we still got to talk about more of the blessings of the millennial reign. Let's just stop right here for a second, understand the concepts. Jesus ruling and reigning literally from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the earth. Millennial temple rebuilt. It looks like he's teaching Bible studies. Uh, food is in abundance, crops are in abundance, work is a blessing, there's no more war, there's no more threat of war. It's just amazing peace that we can't even imagine. we got more stuff to talk about, but let's stop here real quick. Any quick questions, comments, anything here? John. Curses, the word I would use is the curse is reversed. There will still be death in the millennial reign. So for the curse to actually cease to exist, that's eternity in heaven. We'll get to that in Revelation 21 22. So the wording I use is the curse is reversed. I have not patented that phrase yet. So if you repeat that, give me credit for it. But the curse is reversed. Thanks. If you make T-shirts or something, let me know. Yeah, James. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, copyrighted, 19-whatever. Yes, tweets. There is the capability of sin. Uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit, but we'll go ahead and hit that right now. Because the Bible says that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. There is still the capability of sin. But think about it from this perspective. I don't know about you. I do a good enough job sinning on my own. I have sin nature in me, which is bad enough. I have the world around me that pulls me in. And then I have the temptation of the enemy. Now, think about the millennial reign. The temptation of the enemy is gone. So right there, one-third of it's just gone. The world around me is going to be completely different, completely different. The Bible says he'll rule with a rod of iron. When he sees sin, he will take care of it immediately, quickly, and effectively. Something we've never experienced before. So what does that look like on a day-in, day-out basis? I can't tell you, but I'm going to use this example real quick. Um, Probably about four years ago, we took the boys over to Erie, Pennsylvania, And so we went to Erie, Pennsylvania, and if you can remember on a map, Erie, Pennsylvania is really close to the border of the state of New York. And we got this thing that we like to go to different states just to say we've been there. So we were in Erie, Pennsylvania, we realized if we just drive another half hour, we go to New York. And we can say we've been to the state of New York, so why would we not want to do that? So we drove, and the road we were on was a non-toll road, but it becomes a toll road once you hit New York. So you get on, and you have to get off at the first exit unless you want to start paying toll. So we decided we don't want to do that. You know, we're just, we literally want one mile into New York. So if you ever hear me talk about the state of New York, oh, it was beautiful. I've been there for one mile, but I've been there. So we got off of the first exit, and what we decided we were going to do was we're going to buy something, do something, just to say we've been to the state of New York. So we get off at the first exit, and there was two choices. The first choice was some little ice cream shop slash putt-putt place. And that's what we decided to try, because the second option was an adult bookstore. 
So, putt-putt shop was closed. Adult bookstore was open. Needless to say, we did not get a receipt from anything that we did in New York. We just turned around and went back. The reason I bring this up, and you maybe think I'm making a joke, and I'm not. In the millennial reign, you decide to open a shop up like that, you're going to have a knock on your door. And it's going to be the iron rod of Jesus Christ telling you you're not doing that. As, as the world gets better and you decide, I don't know, to start up some type of show, iron rod of Jesus Christ will say, yeah, that's really not glorifying to me or appropriate. We're not going to do that. You don't have to worry about flipping through the televisions, assuming television even comes back. I don't know. The world's destroyed. This is the iron rod of the Lord. If your neighbor and you are starting to get into a dispute and it's going to get a little heavy, the iron rod of the Lord is going to step in pretty quickly, efficiently and effectively. So will sin still be there? Yes, sin will still be there. But the temptation of Satan is gone. He's locked up. The influence of the world is going to be highly, highly minimized compared to what we have now. But there still will be sin nature inside of you. I go back to Cain versus Abel. Cain versus Abel. Cain didn't need a whole lot of outside influence to kill Abel. So sin will still be there, but the iron discipline of the Lord will step in efficiently and effectively to take care of that. And some people believe part of the iron discipline of the Lord is us, the body of Christ. Because the Bible says we will rule and reign with him. Part of our job may be the spiritual police force of the world. So something to throw out there. Any other quick questions? Yeah, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're talking about those that have been born again and saved? No, no, the Bible makes it very clear when we get to heaven that we are going to be known as Jesus is known. No sin nature, no temptation, no nothing. People ask that every now and then. So I'm coming down to earth to rule and reign. Am I going to get sucked into things and am I going to be tempted? No, no, born again, new creation in the Lord, uh, glorified body, not a situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Way to do a setup question there. Um, yeah. Um, we, okay, let's talk a little bit about this. Right. Well, we, we, let's talk about this for a little bit here. Since you, since you brought this up. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, people, people like to bring up the point of the first recorded miracle of Jesus was changing water into wine. Now, there's a couple of things that need to be said about that. First off, if you go out and study out the changing water into wine, their wine is nothing like what our wine is now. Now, somebody always says, okay, yeah, but there was fermentation in it. There was alcohol in it. Yes, there was. But it was highly diluted. If I remember correctly, it was five points water, uh, five parts water to two parts wine. Very, very diluted. Nothing like what we have experienced here. So well, there was alcohol in it. Plus, you have to remember, part of their living 2,000 years ago, they did not have the sanitary system we had. So part of them, they used that process to have, hopefully, a little bit safer drinking water. But we can't get away from the fact that there was some alcohol in it. We can't. That is an actual aspect. But don't take that point and run with it. And that's what some people do. And they're not really fully understanding. I heard a pastor teach on this one time. He says, listen, if you want to call the wine of the New Testament wine like we have today, then you're completely misunderstanding it. Could you get drunk on it? Yeah. But you'd get a lot of it first before you'd get to that point. If we're going to reverse the curse, 
you have to go back to Genesis now. If you remember correctly, after the flood, Noah got into trouble and he got drunk. Now, why did Noah get drunk? Well, what a lot of people believe is once the flood happened, it changed the earth a little bit. And so, therefore, fermentation would happen where before it wouldn't have. And Noah was not familiar with that and not ready for that. And so, therefore, when he made his grape juice, it had a little bit more of a kick post-flood than it had pre-flood. That's one idea. Another idea is Noah wanted to drink it, and so he made alcohol. We don't know for sure. We do know that the cup of wine that would have been served in the Passover meal that Jesus would have partaken of, there was four different cups, if you've ever stayed at the Passover, there, it was considered a wine, not a grape juice, a wine. There was an alcoholic part of it. Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament, drink a little wine for your stomach. Get a little fermentation in there to kind of help out a little bit. So there's nothing unbiblical with saying that it's going to have alcohol in it. There's nothing unbiblical with that. The problem is once you open that door to certain people and certain individuals, they just take it and run with it. They just absolutely take it and run with it. So to answer your question, when I look at here in Amos where it's talking about the mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it, it says wine. The context of it seems to show it's talking about that type of wine. Is it like we have today? I do not think so in any way whatsoever. But it would be wrong for me to come out and say, no, there's nothing alcohol or fermentation about this because there's no way I could back that up scripturally. But it is my job to tell you scripturally, please understand when the Bible talks about wine, how it is different than what we are used to and familiar with today. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. There, good. No, don't ask another one because you already... already, Yes, he does. Yes, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Absolutely right. Uh, Drunkenness is a sin. Uh, For certain people, one is too many. One leads to two, to three, to four, to five, and they just need to be done and stop. There's also other people where it doesn't. And some people get really touchy on this, really touchy on this. And I think we just have to go back and say, what does the black and white scripture say about this to really understand it? So, anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yes, Megan. You know what? We're going to take that and go with that. Let's go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. That's a great question by Megan. And as we're going to Isaiah 65, sometimes certain topics in the Bible, when you study them out, lead to more questions than what can be answered. The millennial reign is one of those topics, I believe. And as we get into heaven and Revelation 21 and 22 in the next couple of weeks, it's going to lead to more questions sometimes than what can be answered. I always use the analogy of the ocean or the Rocky Mountains. And I always, this is the example I always use. Imagine somebody has never, ever heard of a mountain in their life. Never seen a picture of a mountain, never understood the concept of a mountain, never. And they have lived in good old northwest Ohio, have never left Henry County, Wood County, and their entire life. Let's say they've gone to Putnam County, and they're surprised by the Ridge Road there, how it goes up a little bit. So they're now trying to explain a mountain to them. How would you explain a mountain? It's this, it's this really big pile of rocks. You mean like the landfill? No. I mean, you don't understand. I mean, it's so big that sometimes snow is on the top of it because it's so high up. 
There's no way to understand it. You have to see a mountain to understand a mountain. Same thing with the ocean. Explain an ocean to someone who's only seen their grandma or grandpa's backyard pond. It's this huge body of water, like my grandma's pond. No, you don't understand. Like, you can't see the end of it. You don't understand. Heaven, describe it. You can't. If heaven was so easily described, how is it heaven? Millennial reign, Jesus literally ruling and reigning on earth. It's the most unbelievable prophecy, and it's going to happen here. But describe it. It's hard to do. So sometimes it leads to more questions. But Megan asked about uh, children and death. Let's talk about this a little bit. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and here people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and my joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Verse 20, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days. So there's your answer. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child should die 100 years old. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. What that verse is saying is if somebody would die at 100, we would look around and say, that was just a child. That's the millennial reign. That's how different it is going to be. So to answer your question, Megan, will will babies ever die? I can't say yes or no, but I can tell you this. And from Isaiah 65, 20, it says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. And if you're 100 years old, you're still considered a child. So therefore, it sure sounds like expanded lifespan. Please remember back before the flood, Methuselah lived 969 years. If I remember correctly, I think Adam lived 930 years. So the curse being reversed is also going to change lifespans. So people are going to live hundreds and hundreds of years, it looks like. Because somebody dying at 100, they're going to say either they were a child or they were some type of sinner that was accursed and they deserved it. So if 100 years old is considered a child, people are living for a long time. What else do we see here in Isaiah 65? Look at verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit They should not plant and another eat. See, they're going to be living so long. If you build a house, you get to enjoy it. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. You know some pretty big trees around here. My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. Can you imagine raising children in the millennial reign? No outside influences to bring them down. No enemy to tempt be a completely different thing. They shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Because God's right there. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Please notice the wolf and the lamb, not the lion and the lamb. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. See, now it looks like we're back to pre-flood again. If you've not studied this out, in Genesis 9, the world changed a little bit and animals started eating other animals. It looks like before the flood... Animals do not eat other animals. The curse is being reversed here. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. You don't have to worry about the serpents. You don't have to worry about the animals. You don't have to worry about anything. It's a completely different world than what we could even ever imagine. I want to build one more point on this because I only got about five more minutes. Go with me to Isaiah 11, please. Isaiah 11. Let's talk about creation just a little bit. Isaiah 11, 
Uh, Go with me to verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Please note, it's not the lion and the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. Every now and then you see a picture, and it's kind of neat. If you see like this little two, three-year-old running on top of a uh, lion and like rubbing its mane. I think that's what it's going to be like. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze. Once again, the bear shall graze. It look like we're going back, back to not eating meat there. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall be put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. Creation is changed as well, too. This is an absolutely amazing, amazing thing. Dustin, can you go to the next slide real quick? I don't don't think we're going to have time. Nope. We don't have time to get into that tonight. So I think we covered as best as we can the millennial reign. I just want to make sure there's no major verses. I had some verses we didn't get enough time to get to, but I think we covered the main stuff of it. Um, any final questions, comments here about anything with the millennial reign? Miranda. So, during the millennial reign, is that the new earth? No, because the new heaven and the new earth comes in Revelation 21 and 22, and the Bible says the old one has to be burned and dissolved with fire. So there has to be a melting of the old one, according to Peter, and the new one has to come. So this one's still affected by sin and the curse. So it can't be the new one yet. These verses apply during the millennial reign, yes. This is, if you look at this, this is talking about when Jesus is going to rule and reign. And the reason there's so many references in the book of Isaiah to this, you have to remember the purpose of the book of Isaiah. It's a long book, 66 chapters. It's all about Jesus being the Messiah, the King. So part of the book is dealing with Jesus being the literal Messiah that died for our sins. But the other part of the book is dealing with the idea that Jesus is going to be the king. Well, the only way he can be the king is when he gets to rule and reign during the thousand years. Yeah, John. The millennial reign is a chance to prove to earth and mankind how wonderful of a king Jesus would be. And number two, the sinfulness of man, because they have a thousand years of a perfect earth nearly. And then when Satan's released in verse 7, they rebel against God to go back with Satan. That, that Jesus has fulfilled all his obligations as the perfect king, ruler, reigner. Why would you want anything else? But yet, when given the opportunity at the end of the millennial reign, they will rebel against God, go with Satan to show the sin nature of why he also had to be the Messiah that died on the cross for our sins. It is sad. I, I, you know, I say this a lot. I think the saddest verse in the Bible, stay in Revelation 20 real quick. Look at verse 7. We'll get to this next week. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is on the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. 
The devil who had deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It, it shows the world the amazing king that Christ could be versus the thousands of years we've had of, of Satan ruling and reigning. It has to fulfill prophecies yet, which it will, and it also shows mankind's sin nature that only can be completely taken care of with a new heaven and a new earth that Miranda was referencing. So that's why we have to start with that new heaven and new earth because if we're going to try to live on this earth with this fleshly sinful body, we can never win. Millennial reign proves all that. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? Alrighty. So, next week we will get into the satanic rebellion, uh, probably get into great white throne judgment, and we're getting really close to eternity. Really close. I don't mean that prophetically, but we're getting really close to eternity here in Revelation 21. Hey, would you guys stand with me for the final prayer? You've heard me say this probably every week we've gone through Revelation. It's great to mark these verses, note these verses, underline these verses. But unless we go out and truly change the way we live and act, what's the point of it? We know the truth of this. We know the eternity that's coming. We know it. We know it. Let's go out and live this and be a light and a witness in all we say and do. Let's pray. Lord, thankful for the time tonight, for the people you brought out. And Lord, we want to live this. Lord, we want to live this. Thank you for being a God that's willing to rule and reign. Thank you for your patience in dealing with us. You are a God of grace and mercy. Help us to go represent that grace and mercy to a dying world and all we say and do. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Don't forget, sign up sheet back there for the Passover meal coming up March 14th on a Wednesday. Have a good week and God bless, guys.